So hi everyone and welcome to Architecture in the Den. Uh, my name's Lisa, Lisa Rains. I'm the founder of Pride Road, the architectural practice franchise. I'm a chartered architect with about 23 years experience. Oh, and I'm just standing for um, RABA um, National Council. So, <laughs> so, um, vote for me if if the, if you're listening to this before the 30th of July and you've not already cast your vote um so today um I'm delighted to welcome Louise Priestman so um Louise is an architect working at Arabs and we're going to be talking about conservation so hi Louise hi Lisa uh, firstly I've not cast my vote yet so um excellent um yeah so hi um I guess I could just do a quick background on me. Um, so uh, yeah, I um, actually came into architecture slightly odd way. Didn't have a kind of long-standing dream to ever be one or anything like that. I um, basically did did what many of us do pre-COVID, go, go traveling and uh, came back and uh, fell into uh, what was a, an office junior role at an architect's firm in York. Mm. And um, the, the idea was I was going to do an apprenticeship in basically office management and just do the office side. Um, and I was at the first firm called Purcell. It's a conservation architecture practice, um, pretty well known. There's offices throughout the UK and abroad. And uh, yeah, basically there's only so many cups of tea <laughs> and filing that you can do before you think, it looks quite interesting what you're all up to. And I was really fascinated with the work that everyone was doing and the kind of the skills, the, the technical ability, um, understanding that even in old buildings, there's a, there's a lot of thought process and design elements involved, uh, as well as just really understanding how a building behaves. So how, how old were you at that point? I was 18. So, so I was there till I was 20. Of, so you've just come out of school with A-levels? Uh, well, I mean, I won't bore you, but basically I, I didn't even have A-levels. Um, yeah, so uh, I had to do things a bit backwards. So after deciding um, to, to take the route of becoming an architect, I needed to get my A-levels. Oh, okay. So how did you do that? Uh, so I basically um, got a part-time job selling baby clothes in the shop in York. And in between that, studied privately for my A-levels and just booked the less book the exams at a local school and yeah. gave myself about it must have been about four or five months sorry clock will remind me of things uh, <laughs> very good still haven't quite worked out how to turn the thing off um <laughs> so that's um, made for, and what a levels were they uh not related really to architecture at all so there was i, I did have um i did have a as level in art already but yeah. then i did business studies yeah. and religious studies yeah. um, of which I chose Buddhism because uh, I've been a practicing Buddhist so it was just a bit yes. easier to be honest so in my head I just picked uh, ones that um, I knew I could get reasonable grades in in quite a short space of time ah, right. and uh, anyway I got the grades I needed alongside um, my work experience having been in a firm for like, mm. 18 months I was basically told that I was in 
Um, so that was kind of the start of it, really. Um, and that, I think that's, it's... that's amazing because I know, you know, if, if people listen to the podcast who may be thinking about a route into architecture and not necessarily the conventional way. And I know, you know, around COVID at the moment, you know, yeah. it's really hampered those traditional routes into education. I know, you know, certainly with me and sort of my my kids, you know, um, I think GCSE specifically have been kind of completely hampered by COVID. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of the, the normal traditional routes into A-levels in university are just going to change. Yeah, I think, thank you, you're right. It's been particularly mm. difficult. Um, mine was sort of self-inflicted, whereas I think, yeah, for the current generation, it's it's been forced upon them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly an example of you don't have to go the usual route. And actually, yeah. I think now there's the benefit of apprenticeship schemes as well in architecture, which... Um, you know, if that had existed at the time, it's probably something I would have done. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there are other routes. And also it just shows how how valuable uh, work experience is. And I'm a real advocate for any student from, you know, 14 onwards, really, who just to, to try and find experience at a practice to give them an idea of what it's really like because I think the perception of what architects are and do mm. can be quite different um to, to what actually goes on uh, behind the scenes so. so what so so you went you applied for university yeah so I applied for university um and uh, was accepted and did my part one at Lincoln University okay and um again I had a look at you know whether I should take an extra year get even better A levels and go to you know better universities but actually I found having visited quite a few that the newer universities um, were investing far far more yeah. into uh, the buildings equipment you know printing facilities mm -hmm. workshops I was really impressed um, mm -hmm by yeah the the kind of newness and investment which I didn't see at the kind of well-established university mm -hmm. um so that's that's yeah that's why I chose Lincoln and it's cheap rent which is a poor student that was uh, also very welcome um so yeah I did my part one there and uh did a, a lot of mostly in from for my experience at, at university there's a lot of kind of new build stuff and clear sites and actually you know most projects there's something knocking around that's going to cause problems and um so yeah in my part one i in my final year we got to choose our project and i actually chose um and it's worth a visit if you're in the midlands um there's a place called sutton scarsdale mm -hmm. which is a ruined 18th century building opposite the motorway of hardwick hall and bolsover castle and uh yeah i created a scheme within the ruins because um, I just really liked to learn about the history of a place and what happened to it. Why did it become ruins? And actually, my highest grade came from research um, of, of this building because mm. there's a lot, lot to learn. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I uh, was planning to actually do um, after this, a, a, I got accepted to the University of Bath conservation course. But through my research in my part one, I'd got talking to a few people at the Princess Foundation. Mm -hmm. And anyway, they were doing a, a fellowship program, which kind of on a whim I applied for, got an interview and then got accepted. 
um, and it was a fully paid for scholarship in sustainable urbanism. And there's a real yeah. hybrid of heritage and uh, you know, master planning, which was great. Yeah. yeah, and then I moved on to um, uh, part two after doing that and, and some work experience for a couple of years. Um, and then did deliberately choose a university which was pro heritage and designing around heritage, which was um, the University of West England. Mm. Um, and then um, once I'd finished my part two, I, I knew I wanted to do conservation architecture, but I also wanted to be able to kind of design within a heritage setting. And I think um, it's very easy to feel like in conservation, you just do old stuff and repair buildings which you do do and there's a lot of specification for it but actually um, being able to design around something that already exists and something that really complements it and stands the test of time I find quite challenging which is why I mm. quite enjoy it, I think and there's also a lot of problem solving so if you're a problem solver or you like any kind of issue which is totally unknown territory that you have to figure out uh, conservation is really good um, because every problem will be different and I think um, you know looking at my time so far um, from when I have been working that there are just some buildings which can bring you a loss and one of my favorite projects was working at um, on, on the Elizabeth Tower Big Ben and uh, you know really the, the job was quite simple it was just looking at the stonework checking what needed replacing repointing and all that yeah. but to be, to be able to stood up there at the clock tower being part of a team which was responsible for maintaining this absolutely incredible asset of our country yeah. uh, I won't I won't ever forget so even if the job itself is quite boring yeah. the process and the location can be amazing yeah. when, so when did you do that uh, that was a couple of years ago and um, was that with, with Arabs and uh, no so that was with Purcell oh, so wow. yeah sorry I've, I've missed a step there so once I finished um my part two I was working at a small firm hmm. uh doing like small scale conservation and new builds of kind of you know, nice wealthy people's houses on the outskirts of London they're all very lovely and uh, yeah really wanted to kind of get into the meat of the challenge of, of conservation so I, I ended up moving to Purcell in Canterbury mm -hmm. and uh, yeah that's where um, I was working on um, Big Ben and um, also things like Canterbury Cathedral has just been completely re-roofed over the whole nave some really amazing structural and technical things going on there um, and uh, yeah I think there's a there's a lot to be said about having the privilege of standing like on the tower of a cathedral and knowing that what you're specifying will be there way longer than I'll be around. Mm. Um, so uh, yes, it, I guess I'm just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what a um, couple of projects and, and what what they uh, involve maybe. Yeah, and, that would um, be amazing. So you went from, so you moved from Purcell and then you when you went to, you're at Arabs at the moment? Yes. So um, we, um, uh, my family decided to move back up north. Um, I'm a Yorkshire girl and yeah. uh, you know, very keen to introduce the Yorkshire accent to my daughter as early <laughs> as possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, there's, a, there's a conservation architect position that came up with Arabs. 
um, mm. in the York office and it just mm. fit really nicely with the move and mm. uh, you know seeing a different perspective Arif is primarily engineers um, mm. I don't have an engineer's mind so it's been a really good opportunity to kind of broaden my horizon of understanding a specialism who we work with on almost a daily basis so to, to kind of build that knowledge with each other and share and um, just understand each other a bit better I think has been really helpful because um, yeah the, there's a lot to engineering which I've you know you appoint a structural engineer on a project and they give you the calculations and tell you the problems and then you fix it um, so to understand the process behind what they're doing and saying and specifying has been really helpful so mm, amazing amazing so um yeah you're going to tell us about a couple of projects that you've worked on yeah yeah i will do so um i guess i'll start with the small scale stuff mm -hmm. um so one example was um this was when i was working at the residential firm um who were i mean some of the most talented people that i've ever come across in terms of design they're really fantastic and we did a lot of um, new builds, particularly in kind of traditional styles, although there was some, some contemporary work as well. But um, one project I had was, um, I can't remember how many greats, but it was Jane Austen's great, great, great something grandfather's house. And it's sort of 15th century Wealdon Hall, which is a timber frame building um, with kind of render and brickwork. It was a real patchwork piece of design anyway it was this, this beautiful old building really ancient and it, it sat within a um like a courtyard and then there was a barn conversion at the other side and stable conversion so it's like a yeah just a proper square courtyard and Jane Austen's great, great, great grandfather's house was on the left and uh, they really wanted to create a kind of modern contemporary kind of kitchen diner extension it's what many people are looking for now but obviously trying to just bear with me one second. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Live interruptions. They're all, yeah, I know about that. Um, my clock will be going again in a minute. So, um, um, yeah, so they had, um, before I returned back to this firm for my part two and part three, sorry. Um, they'd had, I think, three goes at trying to get consent to do an extension. Yeah. And um, because they couldn't reconfigure the interior because it was grade two star listed. So there was a lot of, you, you can't touch really anything in there. It's so yeah. ancient. Um, and the idea was to create an extension within this courtyard. Mm. Now, sticking a building in a historic courtyard is something that you wouldn't really usually do um but they had the, this house had been separated into two dwellings and so one of them had built like a really large hedge around the side of their boundary so it kind of cut into the courtyard area yeah so the idea was to create something very traditional very you know sensitive and appropriate timber frame structure and it got thrown out because there was no uh, justification really for um putting a structure within a courtyard, irrespective of this massive hedge. Mm -hmm. And um, as someone who's really interested in history and trying to really understand a building and a place, 
I did a lot of analysis in understanding the kind of value of that building, what was really important about it. And uh, Historic England have uh, what's called conservation principles and heritage values. Yes. And these values help you define what is really important about that building. Mm. So some buildings uh, like this one, for me, you know, the, the actual structure had been messed around with quite a lot. It had been cut up in half, the courtyard had a big hedge in it. Then the buildings, you know, were now houses, all separate, not all part of the same state anymore. Mm. And um, to me, the value, although there was a lot of historic fabric, was the narrative of the building. So this this link back to, you know, Jane Austen's descendant, really mm. important. And actually, when we started looking at certain details of the building, there were still elements with like his initials on, yeah. which had, had been saved on another part of the building. And I also looked at the um, like historic maps. And what I discovered very interestingly was on this site of this pit where we wanted to put an extension, there was historically a structure there. Ooh. And um, you will, <laughs> uh, for the students out there, you will find that when you're doing work, uh, precedents are really important. Yeah. And if there was something there, it makes it a lot easier to justify putting something back. And um, so uh, we designed a, a you know, really contemporary structure, single story with a, like a curved wall. So you demolish and get rid of the hedge and put in what just looked like a, um, just a garden wall really with a, like a hidden door into one side. And then there'll be glass on the other side so they could still enjoy the privacy of their garden. And I worked through the heritage values and justifying it as to why we could do it. And yeah. the conservation officer in his report said, I don't really want to approve this, but I can't not approve it because the justification is so robust. Yeah. And we've had the design panel look at it and they're really happy with it as well. So um, I kind of reluctantly <laughs> recommend approval. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, there oh, we go. It's, it's going to really chime as well because it's hitting uh, midday. So um, <laughs> we're just going to have to apologise and let it do what it's doing. Must be like being looking at the Queen Elizabeth Tower. And yeah. yeah, thankfully they turned that off when we were up there. Otherwise, I think it was yeah. a, yeah. a seriously good issue. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of when I was um, working in practice um you know i could sort of also it, i wasn't necessarily a conservation architect but worked on listed buildings and buildings in conservation areas yeah and um sort of running up against the uh, conservation officers over various things yeah. and i remember particularly um so there was a built kind of you know, I think when I just qualified, so like 20 odd years ago, um, there was a, a building that did have kind of like historic value um, that um, my, the, the kind of, our clients were just looking to demolish hmm. um, and sort of put some kind of like commercial, a commercial building in, in its place that was going to you know, provide, have a, you know, clear ground floor structure. It was right in the middle of Manchester. So, you know, it had a specific um, kind of economic value in terms of having yeah, a okay. space. And I was kind of involved in those conservation ar arguments over whether, you know, to keep it, to not keep it. It wasn't listed. Mm -hmm. 
um, um, you know, sort of we looked at sort of ways of restoring it. It had um, it had terracotta faience that had um, sort of like an ironwork skeleton to it that had completely perished. So it was, wow. the whole thing was crumbling. Yeah. And it was absolutely heartbreaking to, um, you know, to kind of look at, you know, trying to kind of work out whether we, it was economically viable to keep it. Yeah. And kind of like the practice I was at at the time, you know, it was, we were commercial practice. And so I had to look at all this historical information and go, yeah. and I've got to make a case for the demolition. And I was really conflicted. Difficult one that it was a real difficult one. I mean, so fast forward kind of 20 odd years. In fact, I think I ended up being made redundant from that practice whilst on maternity leave. Oh dear. You kind of wonder where values certain <sighs> values lie. Yeah, yeah, certainly. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, and kind of working in private practice, you know, kind of setting up Pride Road. Um you know, we work for domestic clients and we work for clients where, you know, what we're doing, what how we're helping them is really valuable. Yeah. You know, in it's, um, you know, we are working with existing buildings, you know, sort of 19, you know, there's a lot of Victorian kind of uh, terraces and sort yeah. of 1930s houses, you know, it is our historic fabric. So, you know, you do come across all those conservation issues, but also, you know, actually what we're doing has got economic, yeah. uh, social value and not just kind of justifying a case for demolition of a, <laughs> yeah. of, a of a building, you know, whether it's historic or not historic yeah um you know for for the sake of making you know a, a financial reward to you know a pension company so you know there's the historic values and there's the social values as well so yeah i mean yeah. you're absolutely right there's a real balance to mm -hmm. um what is the right approach and obviously if you're appointed by a client to do something there's that balance of your beliefs versus what they want. And I think part of the fun of not, it's not about being conservation architect, it's just an architect is mm. kind of understanding your values against mm -hmm. the values of the building and the client. And then yeah, like you say, you're you're really trying to kind of sell to them the right approach based on your professional opinion. Mm. And um, I mean it's looking at kind of the, the polar opposite scale so at the moment at Arup I'm working on a real it's a sort of polar opposite scales really so the two kind of key ones are one is a railway station which is being upgraded mm -hmm. and um, there's a it's grade one listed and you know we there's always the perception engineering comes first and it does in many ways but there's certain parts of these massive structures you really want to obtain yeah. but it's trying to understand the benefit versus harm as well so yes mm -hmm. some things might need to be removed but mm -hmm. the benefits are you know I think the communal value of, of a, an improved railway station particularly as we move forward into kind of more environmentally friendly society um is really important and I think that you know on a small scale we've just got a project on site at the moment for um so 
slight anom anomaly with churches um, and cathedrals that um, an architect is appointed for that structure. So, um, for example, um, I have a handful of churches and I'm the architect, I'm responsible. So whatever happens with the firm should I be made redundant or whatever, I take the church and it's the same with cathedrals. So okay. you are appointed, okay. yeah. So um, if you're looking for a bit of stability, uh, church work is actually really great because, you know, as long as you do a good job, <laughs> you've got them for life. Yeah. And so um, you've got like a number of churches that you keep in your pocket kind of thing. There's a little, little, little pocket there. And, and um, yeah, I just for me, um, I guess it depends on your personality. I'm a real people person and I love being able to help clients and for them to feel supported and in churches you often have really passionate people looking after some of our most important heritage assets without mm -hmm. the technical knowledge of how to really look after these buildings so to be able to be that kind of link between the two to kind of maintain this you know community asset and I think you know a lot of churches are now seeing these structures as not only a place of religious worship but also a place for communities to, to congregate for different events of all kinds of things um, mm. and you know they're, they're big enough and robust enough to be able to take it um, yeah so we've got I, one of those yeah so um looking at the time it's flown already right <laughs> <laughs> and i think we can draw the conversation to a close <laughs> yeah crikey yeah um well i guess i just have sort of one more thing to say really then so anyone who is interested in conservation or learning more about it um you know anyone can become accredited in conservation once you're an architect and actually even people who go into being planning officers conservation officers etc there there are there are bodies you can go to. So the three that I wanted to mention are, is the IHBC, which is for any conservation professional, really active um, membership there and do lots of CPDs, et cetera. What, what does at. it stand for, IHBC? Institute of Historic Building Conservation. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got the AABC, which is the accredited architects in building conservation mm -hmm. um, and they're the ones that do an apprenticeship scheme which I actually started um, after I finished my part two and within mm -hmm. my part three so they assign you an, a mentor who's accredited you prepare five case studies and they kind of help you make sure that they're kind of you're on the right track and if you need certain bits of experience how to do that uh, and that was really beneficial for me um, and I would highly recommend it for anyone who's kind of fresh out and, and interested um, and also it's really good because when you've done your part three you you're used to kind of working and studying and it's quite a lot of labor of love to, to pull these case studies together so if you can keep the momentum going it is a lot easier um, and less painful from people I spoke to who are now or have been through the accreditation process later mm -hmm. on and then the final one is uh, REBA. So REBA now have their own conservation courses and um, accreditation as well. And there's three levels, conservation registrant, someone who's kind of interested um, at the, as a beginner, conservation architect, and then specialist conservation architect as well. So they're the three to me, which are worth looking at. Um, you might not want to do all three, um, but uh, one or two of them would be really useful. And uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, got my name now so if anyone wants to contact me and and pick my brains then I'd be happy to uh help talk you into it 
Okay, well, thank you very much, Louise, for Louise Priestman, that is, for coming on the podcast. Um, so if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, uh, you can find us on uh, YouTube. Please um, subscribe, like and share. And uh, you can do the same on Spotify, um, on all usual channels. Um, if you want to um get in touch um as louise we'll put louise's details in the in the bio blog be below um if you want to come and join us as a guest uh please get in touch with me lisa rains um and we'd love to have you on so thanks for joining us louise and good luck thanks. with everything <laughs>